Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for November 4th, 2007. And this is going to be kind of a multi-level teaching. First thing we're going to actually talk about today is the uh, shocking quotes that John Hagee has recently made in regard to his uh, new book called the Defense, In Defense of Israel. And we're going to segue then into... Um, looking at Israel as a nation, modern day Israel as a nation, and um, we're going to end it then by also looking at the Jews in regard to a biblical perspective look um, regarding the Jews and if they were to blame for anything that went on in regard to Jesus Christ. Okay, and what we're going to do is this isn't going to be anything anti-Semitic or anything like that. We're just going to look at what the Bible says. Okay, like the Bible says, come let us reason together, say it the Lord. That's what we're going to do here. And this is not about me or, um, you know, trying to condemn the Jewish race or anything like that. Uh, like I've said before, you know, if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. And what we're going to be doing, though, is just going into the Bible and seeing what the Bible says. This isn't going to, um, you know, be really anyone's opinion because it's very, very black and white once you look at the scriptures in totality. So... Let's look at his uh, these quotes that uh, John Hagee's recently put out. Now, what happened is the other night I received this, and it was a short video clip up on Google that I'll probably be attaching to this uh, sermon if I send it out in an email format. And um, <clears throat> it was really only about a minute long. And in that minute, he made these five quotes. And, uh, you know, John Hagee is, is I, I think he's the pastor of, uh, I believe it's Cornerstone Church, at, you know, a gigantic church in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, he would be considered the main Christian Zionist, uh, I, would, I would imagine, on the earth today. He is, he is very, very much uh, for us to actually have a preemptive strike on Iran. He's very much press, uh, pressuring President Bush. Of course, President Bush wants this anyway. But he's very much pressuring this administration that we need to go and attack Iran even before Iran does anything. He calls it a preemptive strike. And he calls this biblical. And we're going to be looking at all this um, from a lot of different angles today. But the first thing that he says in this book, in defense of Israel, is that this book is going to be an expose of the sins of the fathers and a vicious abuse of the Jewish people. So in other words, it's going to be an expose of basically the sins of, of all the uh, really probably Gentile fathers, and their vicious abuse of the Jewish people. Now I'm not saying that a lot of atrocities haven't happened to the Jews, but again, let's look at this from a biblical perspective, which is what we're going to be doing. Um, the second thing that he says is this book will scripturally prove that the Jews as a people did not reject Jesus as Messiah. Now that sounds rather unbelievable, but that's exactly what he said, that the Jews as a people did not reject Jesus as the Messiah. Now see, this also is part of the whole politically correct thing about, you know, if you say anything regarding the Jews, you know, you're anti-Semitic, you know, and, and, and oh, we can't utter a word against, you know what, sin is sin. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're Jew or an Arab or, or, or an American or whatever, sin is sin. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. The third point he says is that this book will also prove that Jesus Christ did not come to be the Messiah of the earth. So, that, number one, the Jews didn't reject Jesus as Messiah. 
And that Jesus didn't come for that purpose anyway. He didn't come to be the Messiah. That's what John Hagee's saying. Now, you can go and listen to these quotes on this video clip. It's an advertisement for the book. You can't accuse me of being biased because it's right out of his mouth. Which actually makes my job a lot easier, to be quite honest with you. A lot of the apostate clergy are getting so flagrant with, with heresy because people don't search these things out. Now, some do, obviously, but I'm saying most of the people, most of the people in the congregation, they are such sheep, and they don't search things out, that these guys can basically get away with saying about anything anymore. This is just proof of that. I mean, how much worse can you get? So, um, the fourth point, he says, is then he's going to prove there was a conspiracy between the high priest, Herod, and Rome to execute Jesus Christ. Now, Granted, there's an element of truth there to a certain extent, but we're going to look at that also in totality. And then five, this is a direct quote from this video. He said, since Jesus refused by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah, how can the Jews be blamed for rejecting what was never offered? End of quote. Oh, that's a new one for me. He rejected by word and deed to claim to be the Messiah. Well, we're going to just look at what the Bible says. We're going to look at Jesus' words and his deeds. And I mean, this is so this is so easily disproven. I mean, really, <laughs> from a scriptural standpoint, this is one of the easier things that you would ever have to do, is deal with, with, um, uh, with this subject, because it's so flagrant. Now, the... Uh, David Bay put out a good article after this was released, and um, it was entitled, Pastor John Hagee is shockingly telling Jewish audiences that Jesus was not their Messiah. And then he goes on to say, now I can understand why Hagee is so deeply involved with the current Illuminist leadership of Israel, having provided many millions of dollars to its current Israeli projects, all of which add up to supporting the coming false Jewish Messiah and his new temple. Now, this is incredibly important, and this is the foundation of the teaching for today. Because this last quote, when I first saw you know, this, this advertisement up on Google, um, I didn't, this didn't quite click in my head until I read this from David Bay, where he's saying that he's understanding why Hagee is so deeply involved with the current Illuminist leadership in Israel. And he's provided millions of dollars, and probably millions and millions more because of all the other people he's encouraged to do this. All of which of this adds up to supporting the coming false Jewish Messiah and his new temple. Now we know that when the Antichrist arises, you know, at the midpoint of the uh, tribulation, he's going to commit the abomination of desolation, where he's going to go in there and basically, you know, proclaim himself to be God. We know that the temple has to be rebuilt for that to happen, right? We know that the Antichrist is going to come with all lines, signs, and wonders. And that for the most part, the people of the world are going to receive him as the Messiah. Well, since they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, doesn't it make sense that they're expecting who they think the real Messiah? Well, this just adds right up into all that, okay? And by him putting this book out, basically saying Jesus wasn't the Messiah, what Hagee's doing is basically setting up not only... Christian Zionists, not only the Jews, but also Christians in general who would listen to him. He's setting them up to believe that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, because he's flat out saying that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, John Hagee. 
But what does that imply then? That implies that, okay, where is the Messiah? Well, he's coming according to John Hagee. And guess what? It's going to be the Antichrist. This is how bad it is. I know it seems incomprehensible what I just said, but it's out of his own mouth. And it's so obvious what his agenda is. Just think about that. And that people are going to buy this. Well, God said that he was going to send strong delusion. You know, and, and if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And he said he was going to send strong delusion in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at that. And this strong delusion is coming, and in Christian circles, it's coming primarily through the ministers, the pastors, the preachers, whether they be male or female, whatever. It's coming through the church, this deception. Now, different... Parts of the church are operating at different levels of deception. No doubt about that. Okay, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, the Da Vinci Code come out, or, you know, that book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which basically, you know, says that Jesus started the Merovingian bloodline, and these types of things. It's one thing for that to come from a purely secular source, but this is from a supposed born-again Christian. Okay? Who, I mean, I've had some people... Um, email me or, or talk to me and they would say, you know, I used to listen to Hagee years ago and his gospel message seemed really solid. And I would probably have to say, from what I can remember, I would have to agree. Of course, you know, I don't think I had the knowledge level I had back then either, but... And this is the same thing with Billy Graham and a lot of these guys. And what happens is, is they'll start off seemingly being pretty solid, but the problem is, is they're hirelings. And a hireling has no true love for the flock. And a hireling, they're also like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're, they're, they're appearing as sheep, they're appearing as good guys for a time. And then, years and years go by, you get entrenched into their doctrine, and then Satan wants to bring forth his agenda, and then their true motivation will come out. And that's what we're seeing here. That these people are really starting to show their true colors. Now, in this article David Bay goes into, he says, please read these four archived headline news articles which demonstrate that the current leadership of, of Israel is Illuminati or Illuminist through and through. And it's leading the Jewish nation to accept the coming Masonic, Masonic Messiah. Now, like I said, everybody's looking for the Messiah in all these false religions. I mean, the Arabs call them uh, Mahandi, whatever. Okay? They're, they're waiting for this guy. Um, Mahandi Imam, I believe. Or Imam Mahandi or something like that. Uh... You know, the Buddhists are looking for, for or uh, Hindus are looking for, like, Krishna. Buddhists are looking, you know, all these things go on and on. And it's no wonder that the Jewish race, which unfortunately right now is just one more of the false religions out there, basically through, you know, um, the Kabbalah and the Talmud and these other things that they get into, it's no wonder that they're not also looking for the Messiah, because they don't believe that Jesus ever fulfilled. Even though he fulfilled perfectly all the Old Testament scriptures. So it's no wonder that these other um, religions are, 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 are very much looking for this. Now, in regard to these other articles that David Bay posted up there, we're only going to go over one for the sake of time. But what this is going to do is establish a foundation for today's teachings. Now, the subtitle of this um, article was The Accurate Description of Israeli Leadership in Israel, which is Revelation 
I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Okay, so this is a great, very, very important point that we have to key on as a foundation of this teaching. Because if we think that the Israeli leadership, or like any other leadership in the world, because it's basically all satanic, if we think that any of these leaderships are, are in the perfect will of the Lord, in Bible-believing Christians, we are totally fooling ourselves. And just because somebody is a Jew doesn't give them a get-out-of-jail-free card pass, which is what a lot of people think. In fact, John Hagee firmly believes in what they call ethnic salvation, meaning they don't have to get saved the same way a Gentile believer would. They just get a get-out-of-jail-free card pass, and they get to go to heaven just because of the Jewish blood flowing through their veins. That's called ethnic salvation. Now, he firmly believes that, and I've got the quotes I've sent out before in regard to that. So this man, this man is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is a heretic. He is, he, is, um, he is one of the worst of the worst of the worst. Because he has come out and totally denied Jesus Christ ever came here to be the Messiah. And he's an Antichrist, according to the Bible. So, an accurate description of current Israeli leadership in Israel, and this has been since you know Jesus died, essentially. Revelation 3.9, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews... And are not, but do lie. Okay? Now, what is an accurate description of God's ultimate plan for Israel? Now, this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I'm really sorry, but this is the case. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. Now, again, what is this? This is an accurate description of God's ultimate plan for Israel. Zechariah 13, 8 through 9. In all the land... Two parts, now in other words, we're talking about the Jews here, okay? And, and again, I don't have time to get into every little, um, do a Bible study on every single verse of scripture, but suffice it to say, this is the plan. In all the land, two parts of the Jews, okay, that's my insertion, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left. I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. And we'll try them as gold is tried. Which is what God always does to his faithful remnant. Always. Okay. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Now, I've done, I have done a whole teaching on this. I can't say which exact um, uh, Bible study it was, but we've done whole teachings on this portion of scripture. And a lot of people would say, you know, this is, looking at this, this is the ultimate plan for the Jews, particularly during the tribulation. Okay? This is how it's going to all end up. Now, notice here, it says that two parts therein shall be cut off, but a third shall be left. What does this imply? This implies that two-thirds of all the Jews are going to die. Okay? And a third will be left. Now, that third, God will bring through the third part through the fire, and we'll find them as silver is refined, and we'll try them as gold is tried. Sounds a lot like Revelation chapter 3, where it says, I counsel me to buy gold of me tried in the fire, these types of things. And the gold is the trial of the faith, of our faith. And then it says, I will hear them, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Okay, this is after the Jews finally get their eyes open up. Why do I say they get their eyes open up? Because the Bible says, blindness in part is happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So in other words, when 
Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not, okay? The, Jesus came, he emphasized his ministry to his own people, the Jews. And then the apostles went out and basically did the same thing for a long time, okay? They gave the Jews a very, very fair chance. At some point, the emphasis then shifted to the Gentiles. And I can even take you to the Bible where, you know, where Paul says, from henceforth I will go to the Gentiles, okay? These types of things. And again, we're going to look at all these scriptures in depth, and I don't know how many part teaching this is going to be, but uh, hopefully all your questions will be answered. But what I would ask you to do is, before you start emailing me, listen to this whole teaching in totality. Because I think all the questions are going to be answered during that time. But it is kind of a rather complex subject to deal with, because you have to look at a lot of different scriptures. And... Um, you know, this is such. This is like a landmine type of teaching because so many people will accuse you of being anti-Semitic, saying anything in regard to this. So, a lot of people would say this is anti-Semitic, saying, "Oh, two thirds of the Jews are going to die, and a third is not going to be." But think about this: the Bible says, "Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it." Right now, the, you know, very, very, very few people are going to heaven because. You know, if they even say they're a Christian, they're they're under some kind of apostate teaching, and there there there's so many um, wolves in sheep's clothing and hirelings out there that aren't giving these people the full truth. Uh, these people are not even saved most of the time. They've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils more than anything. And they want to believe some feel-good gospel where they say some little prayer a long time ago and they believe that that makes everything better and that they're going to heaven and they can continue to live like the devil. And there's no conviction of their sin, which tells me alone that they're most likely they're not saved because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you, if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. A bastard is, is an illegitimate son. There's no fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. You don't see a lot of that. You don't see any real love for the truth. There's a lot of different things that, that you should see in a true Bible-believing Christian that typically you just don't see it. In fact, they don't want the truth. And this is kind of a dead giveaway that they're not even saved. How could you be saved and not have any desire for truth? How does that work? If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, why don't you have any desire for truth? Why are you just content to stay in your same 501c3, dead apostate church where they're probably not even reading the real Bible, the King James Bible, they're reading some perversion. If you have any doubts on that, just please email me and I'll get you the whole teaching on that. So, really, if one-third come through and are saved, which the Bible clearly predicts is going to happen, this is going to be during the tribulation, that's really not bad compared to what the rest of the world's going to be. Because the rest of the world's probably going to be about 98% going to hell. So, you know, from that standpoint, of course, I can't obviously be dogmatic about the numbers there, but I, th I think one-third is going to be a lot more than the average race will be. Okay, as far as getting saved. So anyway, that was just a little side note. Now, going back to this article, it says, For the past years, Cutting Edge has presented a truth that has been offensive to some. That the satanic, illuministic Rothschild family began the Zionist movement in 1896. Now again, here's another foundational tenet of today's teaching. And it's, it's necessary to mention all these foundations in order to establish a solid foundation in totality. So, the Satanic Illuminus Rothschild family began this Zionist movement, the Zionist movement, the Christian sect, John Hagee being the head of now. Okay, But this began in 1896. Funded, and this funded the agitation 
through 1948 to get Israel reestablished back in the land. Now a lot of people are going to say, oh, now you went over the line. God brought them into the land. I'm not saying God didn't permit this, but let's look at this in totality. So the Rothschilds, through the Zionist movement, which started in 1896, funded this agitation through 1948 to get Israel reestablished back in the land. It has owned the, the leadership of Israel up to this current day. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil. The Rothschilds were the ones that actually had everything to do with, as far as from a temporal, physical aspect of getting the Jews... Or getting this this land back to the Jews, okay, reestablishing this land, okay, and this started way back in 1896. Okay, so if we go further to see the reality of this fact, you only need to examine Israel's flag, the most satanic of all symbols, the hexagram. Okay, now the Rothschilds had everything to do with getting this hexagram on the flag. The Rothschild got their name. Um, they were the uh, were the first five banking families in Europe, and they were the ones that, that funded both sides of like the Napoleonic War, and um, you know all these things that happened. And this is how they originally got really really rich. Okay, this is the same money that funded um, that was actually used to buy this land back, and actually ordered used to bring the the Jews back into the land. Okay. Rothschild means red shield, okay? And when they were first the, in the infancy of this five banking family, what would happen is, is they were actually, um, they lived in a, um, a Jewish part of Europe, and outside of their, their, their little shop there, the father had, he had a red shield, okay? Which was their insignia, and on the red shield was a hexagram, okay? That was their, um, it was like, kind of like their family crest, I guess you'd have to say almost. Okay, and basically, this is, the hexagram is the most wickedest sign in all of witchcraft, okay? It's a six-pointed star, okay? And actually, if you look at it, there's many, many ways you can drive 666 from a hexagram. The word hex means to curse, okay? Hexagram, when you're dealing with witchcraft, if you want to summon a demon from another plane of existence, you actually cast a hexagram on the ground, Okay, sometimes they'll use pentagrams as well, but hexagrams are actually even more powerful from the research I've done in the occult. So, what in the world is this doing on an Israeli flag, the most wickedest sign in all of witchcraft? What is up with that? Well, the Rothschilds, which originally this was like their family crest, had everything to do with getting that on the flag. Hey, they were the ones that funded the whole start of Israel, and, and uh, as far as them being a nation, okay? So, it's no wonder that they've had their say what the flag would have on it. We have posted several articles on this subject, which if you have not read them before, you need to stop and read them as a background for the information contained in this article. Now, I can send you, in fact, I just did, oh, I don't know, about a month ago, two teachings on the hexagram that you can go and listen to. And there's also a PDF along with that that you can look at, which unequivocally proves that the hexagram is as wicked as I just said it is. Okay, So, when you look at this and you say, no, no, the Bible, this is, this is God doing this, this is where people get confused. Because the Lord permitted this to happen. Israel coming back to land. Yes, it's prophesied in the Bible. Okay, Yes, it is. I'm not denying that. But see, 
here's what happens. People will look at this and say, well, there can be nothing evil about the Israelis coming back in the land because the Bible prophesied that it was going to happen. Yet at this time, you look at Israel as a, as a nation and they still hate Jesus Christ. They're still on their way to hell. If they were to die right now, they're on their way to hell. So you have to ask yourself the question, okay, well, well yeah, God permitted this to happen. They were brought back into the land, but why are they all Christ-haters still? What is going on here? Okay. Now remember, blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Okay, So they're still blind at this point. Unfortunately, the Lord permitted this, the Lord permitted um, all this to accomplish His will. Now, you might say, well, show me some other parts in the Bible where God ever permitted somebody evil to do His bidding. There's several. In fact, it's all through the Bible. The Lord uses evil people and Satan himself all throughout Scripture to accomplish His will. All the time He's using this. Okay, well, give me some examples. Okay, what about Satan and Job? There's a good one, right there. I mean, you have the dialogue between Satan and God, and basically Satan saying, if, if you allow me to do this to him, or this to him, and this to him, he'll curse you to your face. Well, he says, go ahead, but just don't kill him. So he does that, and he puts Job through all these testings. God didn't do that to him, but he permitted Satan to do it, in order to test Job, and in order for us to actually finally have the book of Job, which would be an encouragement to us. Okay, there's one example. You want to see another? Okay, what about all the evil nations that God used in the Old Testament to judge the wicked Jews? When they, when they lapsed into idolatry, didn't God, like, wasn't it like a common occurrence in the Old Testament to see God using um, wicked nations in order to judge wicked Jews? When they lapsed in idolatry? Yes, it was common knowledge, okay? Was God the one that was basically the evil? No, he wasn't, but he was permitting evil to be used in order to bring them to their knees, so hopefully they would repent. That's the, usually when God uses Satan, it's that, not because he's trying to be mean, a lot of times it's, it's yes, we deserve judgment, but ultimately the goal is that there will be a remnant that will repent. Okay? And this is what's going to happen with the Jews as well, because it says that when he brings this third part through the fire, he's going to try them and refine them as silver. What does that imply? That implies that it's going to be rough. It implies they're going to be in the heat. They're going, to, they're going to be refined as silver and as gold, and they're going to be tried. And it's not going to be a pretty thing, but the fact remains is they're going to ultimately be saved. So praise the Lord for that. Okay, so, if we go further, well, what's another example of, of, um, of God using Satan? Well, here, here's the ultimate example, okay? 1 Corinthians 2.6 How about we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that's kind of a weird word. Princes. Hmm. I don't remember a lot of princes being around, being mentioned when Jesus was crucified. Do you? I just don't remember a lot of princes. Okay, now let's. I'm going to key on that word. Okay, it says that which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. What is that word princes derived from? It's derived from the word archeon, which basically in um, is defined as a first in rank or power, chief ruler or magistrate. 
But in the Bible, what we want to always do is compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay, where is this same word used in other parts of Scripture? Particularly the New Testament, because that's what we're talking about here. Well, if we look at Matthew 9.34, it says, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Okay, now, that same word, prince of the devils, is the same word archeon. So when we're talking about archeon, we're basically talking about a demonic principality, prince, ruler, whatever you're talking about there. Um... Matthew 12, 24, But the Pharisees heard it and said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Again, this word prince is derived from the word archeon. Okay? Which is basically this... this obviously, this is, this is not talking about a worldly prince. It's talking about some type of spiritual evil prince in this particular case. Um... John, uh, it's also in Mark 3.22, John 12.31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Again, the same exact word we're talking about here. John 14.30, Hereafter I will not talk much of this with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. Okay, so every single time we're, we're talking about prince here in the New Testament, we're essentially referring to the word archeon, which is essentially a demonic thing. Okay, so when it says here, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is the ultimate example of God using something evil in order to do his bidding. Which basically, the demonic principalities and these types of things thought that by crucifying Jesus Christ, they had won. And actually, they played right into God's hands. So when somebody says, oh, well, well, people being brought back into Israel, this, this, you know, there's no way any evil could surround any of this. Look at the, look at the Bible in totality. Because it's all throughout there. Hopefully I, I did a, um, uh, I, I explained that, you know, so you, that you understood that. Because it's very important to understand that. Because that's one of the main reasons people will shut off even wanting to know about this subject. Because they won't believe anything evil could be surrounding the Israeli people, they believe we have to support them no matter what they do, no matter how much they live like the devil, no matter how much they hate Christ, we have to support Israel no matter what. Now, I'm not saying we should turn our back on Israel, but please, let's have some balance here, okay? Because right now, the way it currently stands, they're getting ready to embrace the, the, uh, the, the Antichrist, okay? He's going to confirm the covenant with them for a week, according to Daniel, and that is going to start the seven-year tribulation. It's coming, okay? It's right around the corner, and it's going to take place out of the ashes of World War III, most likely. We're going to look at that even further, too. So, um, he's got a couple articles you can go and read here um, in regard to this subject as well. And um, I'll try to, you know, when I put this out as a teaching, I'll try to make sure you have all these links. The information reported by... Uh, these two guys that, that uh, he's, he's going to draw upon for information. One's name is Barry Chemesh and Jerry Golden. This information completely confirms the original teaching from the cutting edge. These two Jewish authors can see the events leading up to the very conclusion of the me- of cutting edge stating in these articles of the two years ago. Golden also gives some very excellent pictures to depict the Masonic architecture of the Israeli Supreme Court building conceived and funded by the, Rock of, by the Rothschilds. I'm sorry. So, we're going to look now at two Jewish authors and get their take on what they believe. One of the guys is not even a Christian. One calls himself a Messianic Jew. And the other guy is just a secular person, okay? So, this is another couple different angles here. But, 
I actually sent out quite a while ago an email on this um, Israeli Supreme Court building, and it basically was conceived and funded by the Rothschilds. There's whole streets and stuff named after the Rothschilds and Rockefellers in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know that. They're the ones that own the, uh, I believe the Rockefellers are the ones that own the um, antiquities, uh, uh, archaeological division in Jerusalem. They control everything there. Okay? And these, and these are the wickedest families on the planet. So, what we're going to try to do is tie this information together and add some revealing information of our own. So, let's go a little further here. Now, before we get started, we wish to reiterate that this information does not prove that the conspiracy to produce the kingdom of Antichrist, the New World Order, is uniquely a, just a Jewish conspiracy, which is a lot what some people will go off the deep end and say. They'll, then you, you have people that basically go and say, oh, the Jews are the source of all evil. Now, I'm not saying that at all, okay? So we're not going to go off the deep end there. And again, what we're trying to do is have balance here. Uh, nor does this teaching show that all Israel is evil, or that all Jews are to be despised. We're not saying that at all, okay, with this. So please, don't, don't misunderstand this information. As some Christian ministries are reporting these days, in the world today there are two types of Jews, according to the world according to God's word. And we already read this. Um, Two-thirds in the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Okay, now this also kind of relates to the synagogue of Satan. Okay, because the synagogue of Satan most likely the ones that are leading this two-thirds of the Jews. But God always preserves a remnant. Okay, and this is in Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. And then it says, but one-third, but the third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried, they shall call upon my name, and I will hear them, I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Okay, so they're finally going to get their eyes open, praise the Lord. It's been a long time coming, if you think about it. Okay? So, if we go back to the article, it says, Thus, when we say the Illuminati, through the Rothschilds, planned and funded Zionism, and forced the issue of Israel coming back to her land in 1948, we are saying that these Satanists comprise the leadership of the two-third, which is basically what I just said. Okay, And they are. They're Satanists, if you really want to know the truth. The people at the head of the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, these people aren't just deceit, they're Satanists. Okay? They're serving the prince of the power of the air. They're serving Satan. And they're the ones that are trying to orchestrate this whole scenario with World War III that is going to produce the coming Antichrist. And they're the ones that are, that are behind all this. Okay, Now God is letting this happen because he clearly predicted in his word it was going to happen. So this is something that shouldn't discourage us. It's something that should encourage us. Okay, Because the handwriting's on the wall. It's very easy to see if you look at this um, in light of scripture. So... Uh, these these are the Satanists, uh, you know, at the head of these these wicked uh, Zionist families uh, of the Illuminati, that will be the leadership of the two thirds that are going to unfortunately be cut off and die, whom God will allow the Antichrist to slay. We will see the slaughter occurring in two prophetic parts of Scripture, Matthew twenty four fifteen through twenty two, which is where we see the Antichrist in the temple committing the abomina abomination of desolation. And then we see the people fleeing in all directions. Jesus warned the people in Israel to flee quickly, for the window of opportunity to flee would be mightily short. 
And then in Revelation 12, 13 through 16, he says, we see the dragon, Satan, having been cast out of heaven, and the first thing he does is try to annihilate the woman, which is also associated with Israel. This scene describes what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 24. As soon as the Antichrist walks out of the temple, after he has desecrated the Holy of Holies as prophesied, his men will be poised to strike against the Jews in the country, to slaughter, well, as many as he can. And... Um, from this point, the two-thirds of the Jews living in the land will be killed. When God protects his remnant, as he foretold he would in Zechariah 13, 8, 9, and in Revelation 12, 13-16, he is protecting the one-third, or 33% of the Jewish population. Okay, so that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. The supreme irony is that two-thirds of the population slated for death at the hands of Antichrist, will undoubtedly be the ones most enthusiastically supporting him as their Messiah. Think about that one. They're going to be the ones that are saying he's the Messiah. He's going to come with all lines, signs, and wonders. Isn't that what they wanted? What, didn't they go to Jesus and say, we would, we would have you show us a sign? And then what did he say? A, a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but no sign shall be given to you, unto you, but the sign of jo Jonah? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is that in reference to? The resurrection. That's a pretty big sign. Now we're going to talk about that further. We're going to talk about that further. But hopefully, um, we're kind of bringing this, this, this across so that you're understanding this. Because it's very, very important, considering the times we're moving into, that you understand this. Because a lot of people, in fact, the vast majority of all Christians are going to be totally deceived on this issue. And it's going to cause a lot of a lot of people that call themselves Christians to fall away. The love of many is going to wax cold. You know, there's going to be a lot of people calling themselves Christians that are going to betray other, so, you know, other people, other Christians, these types of things. So this is a supreme irony. Okay, that this two-thirds of the Jewish population slated for death at the hands of the Antichrist, will undoubtedly be the ones that were most enthusiastically supporting him as the Messiah. Um, and if we go further, while God's Holy Spirit is undoubtedly will reveal the identity of the Antichrist, who the Antichrist really is to the one-third of the remnant, prior to the time of the abomination of desolation, um, and all others of the Gentile remnant. Okay, But here is the supreme irony Contemplate this carefully, for the understanding should go a long way toward answering your deepest questions about the current state of Israel and where it is heading. Jesus lamented the reality that the great majority of Jewish people and their priests were in the process of rejecting him completely as Messiah. Okay, now, let's go to John 5, verse 18. John 5, verse 18. Okay, so John 5, verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Well, let's just jump a couple verses up here. Um, Verse 16, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now, if, if, you, if you wonder about the Sabbath day, I've, got, I've done, a, uh, I don't know, two or three teachings 
two or three parts on this, and all the documentation um, proving that we're not under the Sabbath anymore, okay, is in those teachings, okay, and it's a big PDF file. And again, please, listen to the teaching and read the PDF file before you start emailing me, okay, because I've answered a lot of questions on that, and basically... 99% of the time, all the questions are answered within the teaching and within the PDF. Uh, we're getting, last month we had like 5,500 downloads and, and my emails are, you know, rather, <laughs> uh, the emails are rather thick at this point. So, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. They wanted to kill Jesus because he, he had done things on the Sabbath day that they believed he shouldn't have done. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only had broken the Sabbath, but he had also that, but he also, uh, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Now, let's go further. This is, this is a big response, okay? So Jesus answered and said unto these Jews, okay? If we go to verse 39, okay, let's just skip ahead to verse 39. Just basically, then Jesus answered and said unto them, and let's go to verse 39, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Now, these, he was talking to these unbelieving Jews, okay? Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Again, granted, there are so many Old Testament scriptures that testify of Jesus Christ Personally, I don't understand how a Jew, being a Jew, if he was versed in the Old Testament, could come to any other conclusion that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. I just don't understand it. But again, blindness in part has happened to the Jew till the fullness of the Gentile come in. So, he's saying basically, you know, you Jewish people, if you would just search the scriptures, they testify of me. Okay? And then it says in verse 40, And ye will not come to me, that you might have life. He says it right to them. He knows that they're not going to come to him. He says it right there. And you'll not come to me, that you may have eternal life. He says it to the Jews. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye not, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am in my, I come, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him she ye shall receive. Now, that last verse is incredibly important. Because it says, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Okay, so he came to his own. Remember, in John it says, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Remember that? Well, it says, he says, he reiterates that again right here. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Even though the scriptures testify of him, and he fulfilled all these things, totally perfectly in scripture, they still don't receive him. Then he says, if another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Now remember, the way the Jews are thinking right now, they never viewed Jesus as the Messiah. The Jews as a nation. Okay? Jesus is saying this, how many years ago? This was like around 31 A.D.? Okay, if another shall come in his own name, him she, him ye will receive. As who? As the Messiah. What do you think that they're waiting for right now, the Jews? What do you think Hagee's saying when he says Jesus wasn't the Messiah? What do you think he's setting everybody up for? He's setting them up 
to, to actually for the real Messiah to come. Because Jesus wasn't the Messiah, according to John Hagee, and he never was according to the Jews, right? If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. That's where we're going right now. That one that's coming in his own name, the Antichrist, they're going to receive him. And the Bible clearly predicts it's going to happen. Okay? I mean, this is like the Bible coming alive, isn't it? I mean, this is unreal. But it's so obvious. Now, let's go with this further. 2 Thessalonians 2. This is going to just kind of reiterate what we've already said here. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. Let's just start at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him. Now I'm not going to turn this into a rapture, pre-wrath, uh, pre-trib, uh, post-wrath, whatever thing today, okay? We're not going to turn that. I'm just going to read the scriptures. There's something that needs to be reiterated here, okay? From I want to try to stay on point, because I know I typically tend to go off on rabbit trails quite a bit. So now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be soon, that you not, that you be, man, my mind is not right tonight, <laughs> today, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by the letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. That day, which is in reference to our gathering of, together unto Jesus Christ, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, regardless of what your, your view is, of whether you're uh, pre-trib or post-trib or whatever, um, the son of the son of perdition is going to be revealed in the end times. Okay, let's just say that. Okay, that way that we won't step on too many toes. Who opposeth, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showeth himself that he is God. Now what is this in reference to? This is in reference to the abomination of desolation that was clearly predicted in Daniel and in the Bible. Okay, Because this man of sin, this son of perdition, is going to exalt himself above all that is God. He's going to call himself higher than God. So that so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God. This is when the abomination desolation is committed. Now, the temple has to be rebuilt in order for this to happen. Right? Okay? Showing himself that he is God. And then let's go to verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power in signs and lying wonders. Okay, remember, this is how Satan's coming. He's not coming as some meek little, you know, whatever. He's coming with all power, signs and lying wonders. The, the Lord's permitting him to do this. He's not doing this without God's permission. He's going to have it his way for about seven years. Okay? And he's going to have power, and signs, and lying wonders. And what do you think the Jews are looking for? What were they looking for in Jesus' day? They were looking for huge, gigantic signs. Of course, I would say Jesus did a whole bunch of those as well. Okay? But they wanted to see things evidently like the Red Sea parting or whatever. They wanted to see Jesus, you know, destroying 
the Roman Empire. They wanted to see Jesus wiping everybody out and, and establishing his kingdom in a very radical way. Okay, that's what they were that's what they were wanting. They and when Satan comes, he's going to give them at least to a certain extent what they're looking for. And then it says in verse ten, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Okay, that's why it's so important what truth we're embracing. Because right here it, it's equating receiving the love of the truth with salvation. Because salvation is the ultimate form of truth, if you think about it. Okay? The Bible says, if you, or Jesus said, if you continue my word, then are you my, my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. See, God is going to send it. But he's going to send the strong delusion primarily through Satan is almost like who's doing his bidding. Okay? Because Satan's the one that's going to come with all lying signs and wonders. Okay, God's just going to permit it to happen. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth. This is very important stuff here. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so, um, let's see here. Where did I leave off? Okay, so, Bible scholars uniformly agree that Jesus is speaking here of the Antichrist. He is saying that the Antichrist will come in his own name, power, and authority. But the Jews shall accept him as their Messiah, even though they rejected Jesus after our Lord had fulfilled all the Old Testament Messianic prophecies. That's crazy, but not all of them did, obviously. The apostles were there, and then they, you know, there was 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about that. Okay, but I'm just saying, it's, it's you know, it's pretty amazing, though, that, that they didn't corporately accept him. Um... Okay, so let's go further. And then he has a three-part audio cassette series. Um, Secret Societies Killed um, Jesus Christ, I guess is what it's called, where they prove from the Gospel accounts that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were members of a secret society whose belief system later became known as the Kabbalah, okay, which is basically the heart of Jewish mysticism witchcraft. It's the highest level. Since the Illuminati of our day cherish the Kabbalah as the cornerstone of their belief system, it can be truthfully stated that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were Illuminist. The Pharisaical Illuminati knew Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, but he was not carrying out the secret plan they had expected him to carry out. Therefore they plotted and schemed to have him killed so that they could stage one of their own in his place, which is the Antichrist, which is what's coming, which Jesus clearly predicted when he says, when one comes in his own name, him you will receive, but you're not going to receive me. Satan now is ready to bring the Messiah to the world scene. So he can deceive the Jews into thinking he was their long-awaited Messiah. It is not... Is it not logical that Satan would be permitted to use the Illuminati to bring Israel back to the world as a nation? And that he would ensure that the leadership of this fledgling Israel would be Illuminati to the core? Hey, if he used the Rothschilds, you know they're going to be Illuminati to the core. Okay? See, the problem is, 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 if, is if, you, if people were just taught this, what we're talking about now, if they were taught this from the beginning, there wouldn't be that much of a controversy. The problem is, is the preachers of this country, particularly America, the 501c3 hirelings, have so corrupted things, and so, and so given them this feel-good, watered-down, 
doctrine full of leaven that now it has to be undone. What we're trying to do right now is undo a lot of false conceptions. And it's so easy to do in the Bible, but it's so hard because we're, we're, we're conditioned to think, oh no, this can't be true. We can't utter one thing against the Jews. You know? They're, they're, and, and what that does is it basically causes us just to back off on the Jews and say, okay, well, they're off doing their thing. They're all going to heaven and they're all well and good and we'll just do our thing. It's ridiculous. they got to get saved the same way we do. So, if we go further, if the leadership of Israel is the is Illuminati at the time the Antichrist arises, they can throw the full weight of the Israeli government behind this deception, which is exactly what they're going to do. Okay, When the Antichrist deceptively goes forth to seemingly fulfill Old Testament prophecies, now remember, he's going to come with all lying signs and wonders. He's going to try to fulfill a lot of the things that probably Jesus Christ already fulfilled. Okay, of course, they don't give him, they don't, the, the Jews ignore all those, but they basically go and they'll, they'll embrace the Antichrist. Okay. It's this, the irony of this is just unbelievable. When the Antichrist deceptively goes forth to seemingly fulfill the Old Testament prophecies concerning Israel, okay, as Peter Lemassur says in his book, uh, in his New World Order book, the Armageddon script. He will have the full backing and the support of the Israeli government. All propaganda organs within Israel will be told what to say and when to say it in order to, to deceive the Jewish people more easily. Now again, these, uh, these people, these... Um, these people that are at the head of the um, Illuminati, particularly in the uh, Israeli government, we could we could liken them to Revelation 2.9 and Revelation 3.9. Revelation 2.9 reads, I know thy works and thy tribulation, the poverty, but thou, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And then it says in Revelation 3.9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that, that I have loved thee. So, there's a lot of Jews out there that are actually of the synagogue, synagogue of Satan, and they say they're Jews, but they're actually liars. Okay? So if we go further here, in this Armageddon script, uh, this man says that... Um, the Antichrist will have the full backing and support of the Israeli government. All propaganda organs within Israel will be told what to say and when to say it. Now, our media is already totally controlled anyway. Okay, in America and, and elsewhere. Okay, so this is going to be, though, primarily in Israel in order to deceive the Jewish people more easily. So the entire deception would be more easily achieved if the official government is behind the entire effort. Thus, God allowed Satan to use his Illuminati to begin this process of the Jew coming back to the land in Zionism and to ensure that every prime minister was Illuminati. Satan must conform his plans to God's prophecy and the time will come for the Antichrist to begin slaughtering Jews just as the Bible foretells. With this concept in mind, let us now begin to discuss the developments that Barry Shemesh and Jerry Golden have reported. Remember, Shemesh is an unbeliever while Golden is a Messianic Jew. Listen to their discussion as how Freemasonry has been and still is in full control of Israel. 
So again, now this is another tenet to this teaching that's very important to reiterate and understand that when we're saying that the Israeli leadership is Illuminati and evil to the core, can we prove this? Because a lot of people say, well, I just don't believe you. Okay, well, can we prove it? It's pretty easy. Cutting edge... Um, this is a note from Cutting Edge. In mid-October, the insidious Geneva Accords were unveiled to the Israeli people and the world at large. We were initially puzzled by this new accord. Since the Oslo Peace Accord had been pushed since September of 1993 at the highest level of government in Israel and the United States and the Palestinian Authority. In news report, and they've got a link to this, Cutting Edge does, uh, 1864, we thoroughly exposed this new Geneva Accord for the mortal physical danger it poses to the tiny state of Israel. So we urge you to stop and read it now. Um, and you can, these are things that once you click into all this, you can go to if you want to read more about any particular thing. But it says that now listen, as Chemesh relates the Geneva Accord of October 2003 with the satanic uh, Third World War vision given to Albert Pike in August of 1871. Now Albert Pike was the um, highest ranking Freemason during the 1800s, he was considered the, the uh, father of modern day, uh, the modern day Freemasons. He was a Confederate war general. He's the only Confederate war general that actually has a statue of himself erected within the city limits of Washington, D.C. Now, why would a Confederate war general have his own huge, gigantic statue within the city limits of Washington, D.C.? Because he was part of the Illuminati. He was part of the plan. Okay? Um, so, uh, this was a... Um, a, uh, we're, we're looking at the, the satanic third world war and this vision given to Albert Pike in August of 1871 the squeeze is on the squeeze is now on big time to reduce Israel to a helpless state in the last stage before its elimination um, Oslo has now become Geneva and this time around those leading okay so they go on here. I, they, they don't actually give the vision here. But suffice it to say, in August of 1871, Albert Pike was given a vision that uh, there would be a Third World War. Okay? And, let's see here. Chimesh now turns the final war. This is, a, this is kind of written in a, in a disjointed way. In this Third World War, what was going to happen... And we've already had two world wars. Now, he had this vision before World War I, World War II. Now we're going into World War III. Okay? Out of the ashes of World War III, the Antichrist is going to arise. Albert Pike predicted back in 1871 that the Third World War was going to be between the Jews and the Arab nations. And out of the ashes of this war was going to arise the Antichrist. Okay? So that's what he, this dream that he had in 1871. Um, Shemesh goes on to say, the squeeze is now on big time to reduce Israel to a helpless state. In the last stage before its elimination, Oslo has now become Geneva, and this time around, those leading Israel to its final disaster have learned from their failures. I have long known that labor Zionism, which was created by British Freemasonry, is on its long way, and its long-term goal was always the destruction of the Jews. Now I'm going to prove it. Albert Pike was an American Masonic Grand Master of the 19th century. Unlike others of his cult meeting the Freemasons, he was less secretive and recorded the master plan in his writings. Okay, and again, you can actually click on this link and, and see, um, read the whole thing. Now back to Chemesh. After relating this fact that the first two world wars occurred just as 
Albert Pike's spirit had foretold him. Now, he had this vision, supposedly, from a demonic agent and gave him this vision, Albert Pike. Shemesh now turns to the final world war. The third world war that was fought between Israel and her Arab nations. Okay, the third world war must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences between the differences caused by the agentur of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. So it's going to be, it's going to be fomented through these political Zionists and then the leaders of the Islamic world. Now it's no, it's no um, secret that I mean modern day Islam despises the Jews. I mean, they have come out flatly and stated it's in part of their religion that the only way that they're ever going to have any kind of peace with the Jews is through total eradication and extermination of the Jews. The Israelis, the, the, the Islamic people, and the Muslims have said this. It basically says it in the Quran. So, this war is coming, and obviously it's been brewing for, for, for many, many years. But the thing that, you know, they always say, you know, peace in the Middle East and stuff like this. There can be no peace in the Middle East if Islam is a religion. There can't be. Because their religion dictates that they have to destroy the infidels. Particularly, the, the worst infidel they believe is the Jews. Okay? And an infidel in their mind would just be an unbeliever in Islam. That's, that's the definition of, a, of an infidel. Okay, so, they have to mutually destroy each other. Okay, this is part of their the plan. For those of us who have been following this insane struggle between Israel and the Palestinians since the early 1980s, this concept that both sides will be encouraged to mutually destroy each other rings true. The two sides have, seem, have seemed to be the, in a death embrace for the past 22 years. It's pretty much the way it seems. However, the Palestinians do not possess... Um, or did not possess the military wherewithal to annihilate Israel. So Syria and Egypt must come into play in this equation. For the past decade, Egypt has been buying huge quantities of American armaments to the point now where both sides have weapons systems like F-16 fighter bombers. In the past week, we have received reports that Russia has equipped Syria with advanced shoulder fire anti-aircraft missiles and even her supersonic sunburn missiles that fly at 1,700 miles per hour. Now more than ever, Israel and the Arab na nations seem poised for a death battle. Okay, so moving on here, and if we continue now um, with the Chemesh's writings, it says Israel is in an enormous trouble and is about to be fatally, and is about to be a fatality of a plot for world domination recorded way back in 1871. The means to its end will be the Jews, made influential by forces salivating at the opportunity to see Israel finally finished off in the flames of a ritualistic hell. Now this is coming from a Jew writing this, okay? Since terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, world events in the Middle East show a growing unrest and instability between the Jews and the Arabs. This is completely in line with the call for a World War with a Third World War to be fought between the two and their allies on both sides. The Third World War is still to come, and the recent events show us that it's not far off. Now, again, you can't accuse me of being anti-Semitic. This is coming from a Jew. Okay? We have reported on a number of occasions that on April 27, 2002, Sharon's aide was heard remarking, World War III is coming whether you like it or not. The 9-11 attacks were just the beginning. Thus, you can see that Shemesh has verified what Cutting Edge has been reporting all along, that the Masonic plan to produce Antichrist is proceeding just as planned. 
while Chemesh reports on the plan conceived in 1871 and printed in secret Masonic literature on January 22, 1872, the original parts of this demonic plan began in 1594 as Sir Francis, Sir Francis Bacon and Queen Elizabeth were listening to their guiding spirits and then it proceeds to 1776 as the new nation of Atlantis, the new Atlantis nation, the United States of America, was established just 66 days after Beltane, which is, the um, some call it the first highest holiday of Satanism, some call it the second. Um, but it was 66 days after Beltane, which, wit, wit, which witnessed the birth of the masters of the Illuminati. Okay, so now he gets more into that whole thing with Sir... Francis Bacon and these types of things on the, on the occult foundations of this country in the videos Riddles and Stone, and I believe it's called The New Atlantis. Uh, David Bay has two really, really good DVDs that get into that, those two subjects. Now, let us go forward to listen to the revelations of Jerry Golden. Whereas Chemesh was reporting that current events are outworking of a much older plan, Golden is reporting that the new Israeli Supreme Court building was conceived and built with Rothschild money, but more importantly, was built with incredibly bold and visible satanic symbols. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and end part one there, and we're going to go ahead and go to part two now. Uh, you're stuck on my